This morning we're talking about emotion, so I thought I would begin by taking you on an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> Emotions are real, aren't they? In the first clip, which is a real scene that really happened, how many of you felt intense anger? How many of you felt like it w wanted to lead you to behavior, to your behavior to get into a Jeep and drive to Berlin and hold someone accountable? Right? That's the first clip. Now, the second clip's fake, right? It's just a movie. It's fun. It's a great one. It's a good love story. Uh, but it leads me to behavior as well, because at the end, I want to kiss my wife, right? <laughs> and that's what emotions do. Emotions are there for a good reason. They're there because God placed them there. And we're in our series titled Wellness Check, and we're declaring that if we want to be all in for Jesus, then it's essential for us to be healthy spiritually and mentally and emotionally and physically. Our entire life needs to be healthy, all of it. And so this morning, we're going to talk about being healthy emotionally, because all four of these things, our spiritual life, our mental life, how we think, how we process our theology, what our emotions are doing, what our feelings are doing, and what we're doing physically, they're all intertwined, aren't they? We've been talking about the cognitive triangle, how our thinking leads to our emotions, how our emotions lead to our behavior, and how all three are intertwined, and we can't leave one of them out. And if you and I are going to live like the followers of Jesus Christ that we're supposed to, then all three areas of the, that, those things in our life need to be healthy. Our thinking needs to be healthy, our emotions need to be healthy, and also our behavior needs to be healthy. Dr. Diane Chandler says this about emotions. Emotions involve automatic physiological responses such as facial and vocal expressions, and are the basis for forms of judgment, which are central to ethical thinking and behavior. See, our ethical thinking and our behavior are linked to our emotions. And this morning, we're going to talk about a lot about being healthy emotionally, and I've been reading a lot about it over the past month and weeks, and especially this past week. And I want you to know, I've been reading three books recently that are really going to kind of guide our conversation about emotional health this morning. The first one is by the author that I just quoted. The book is called Christian Spiritual Formation by Dr. Diane Chandler. The second one is called Switch Your Brain On by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And the third one is called The Bible, and it's by the creator of your emotions. <laughs> Let's pray and we'll jump in together. Jesus, we thank you so much that you want us to be healthy people. And thank you so much that you sent Jesus to make that happen. It's up to us now to live in the spirit, not in our flesh, and to be healed from the things that have often hold us back. And so this morning, Lord, as we process things together out loud, would you be in the middle of it? Would your presence be here? And would your healing touch be with us all? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to jump right in, and my hope this morning is that you will let the Holy Spirit move in you when the Holy Spirit pushes your button this morning, because I'm, I'm um, guessing, not guessing, but presupposing that he will, based on our conversation. That there will be something that I will say, or that the Holy Spirit will whisper in your ear in the next 30 minutes, 
and he'll, he just wants to do something. He wants to bring health somewhere. He wants to, he wants to, maybe there's a scab there and he wants to maybe pull it off and clean it all up. So the first place I want us to start this morning is with Jesus because Jesus is always the best place to start, amen? And so let's look at Jesus, emotions, and love just for a minute. Because what's interesting is Jesus, the Bible tells us, Philippians chapter two in particular, tells us that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. So he's experiencing all of everything that he has as God, and he's also experiencing all of humanity, all of what you and I experience right now while we're here, he experienced as well. And so what, it, what Jesus models for us is how to interact with your emotions, how to have healthy emotions. And the first spot I want to take us is in John chapter 11, where Jesus is heading to, um, to I think it's Bethany, um, and he's heading there because one of his really good friends has passed away, Lazarus. But he's okay with it because he told the disciples a couple days earlier that everything would be all right. But in John chapter 11, verse 33 to 36, it's, it's, there's a very interesting moment here. Listen to what it says. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then one of the shortest verses in the New Testament or in the whole Bible Jesus wept. Very strong point of emotion. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. So I want you to notice something here that's extraordinary to me about this moment. Absolutely extraordinary to someone who only has one emotion. That's me. I don't have emotions. I have emotion, right? They're get, I'm getting more emotions I've noticed as I've gotten older, but anyway. Here's what I find extraordinary about this story. Jesus already knows he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead, so why is he crying? Why is he crying? Why is he troubled? Why is he troubled in spirit? Why is he crying? Why is he emotional in this moment when he knows one minute from now he's gonna call him out of the tomb? He's emotional because that's what emotion means. It means to be connected to the people that you love around you. And when they're in pain, you're in pain. When they're rejoicing, you're rejoicing. And so what I want us to see right off the bat is Jesus is having a deep social connection here. And it leads him to emotion. Even though he is the answer, he knows the answer, and he will fulfill the answer in about one minute but he still is involved and he's connected. And, and I wanted to share this verse in particular because I want you to know this morning that if you have some emotional pain and you're sitting in it right now in your life, Jesus sees it, he's concerned, he's deeply moved, his heart is for you, he sees your pain, and when you're in pain, he's in pain. But he also knows that he has every ability to heal you if you'll enter into the process. The next one is kind of a, a, a random one. It's in Luke chapter seven where Jesus heals a dead boy that he just literally just comes in contact with. 
It starts in verse 12. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart was overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bears stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, here's what's interesting about this story. We have no prior knowledge whether Jesus went to this town of Nain to do this miracle or not, like we do with Lazarus. Jesus maybe could have walked right past the procession until he saw her. Did you notice it? When the Lord saw her, and what did he see? Her pain, her loss, her emotion, his heart overflowed with compassion. He had an emotional moment. And because he is the answer and because he is the way, the truth, and the life, he raised the young man back to life. The third one is one of my favorite sections in scripture, but it's the opposite. In Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, listen to what happens. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. This verse is the reason why Cheney Faith Center encourages us to be involved in the lives of children and youth and why they are so important to our church. Did you notice Jesus' emotional response? Jesus' emotional response to his disciples who were placing less importance on children than adults was anger. Anger. Because love for children was being compromised by his followers and Jesus said what? No, that's not who we are. That's not who the followers of Jesus Christ are. Children are very, very important and we need to put all of our energy there. Now, because love for children was being compromised by his followers, Jesus stepped in and made it right. Now, may that never be said of us at CFC, amen? May we always have the teachers and the leaders that we need in Faith Kids and at AMP, amen? So let me start by saying thank you to those of you that are serving in Faith Kids and AMP. Thank you so much for sowing seeds into the youth and the children of our church, amen? But did you know that we have six spots that we need teachers for starting next Sunday for Faith Kids. 
I'm, I'm not going to call April and Rebecca out, but they might be angry. I don't know. But I know I'm a little angry. Like, this needs to be our focus. So I suppose that when April or Rebecca call you this week and say, hey, could you serve in Faith Kids, you will say what? I'm available. Yes, I will answer that call. So those are just a few of the many examples showing us Jesus' emotions. Now I want, us to, I want to point something out that's a common theme here. In Jesus' emotional moments, they're always motivating him and others towards godly behavior. Did you notice that? His emotions of compassion and love motivated his behavior to heal. His emotions of anger motivated him to make a wrong situation right and bless children instead of pushing them away. In, in the book that Diane Chandler wrote, she said several things about Jesus and his emotions that I thought were extraordinary and I wanted to share them with you. She said this, Jesus' sacrificial love and compassion directly flow from his love for the Father and obedience to the Father's will. All of Jesus' emotions revolve around the center point of attachment to the Father's love and the threat of God's love being unrealized in others' lives. The goal of emotional formation is to move increasingly toward a fuller reception of the love of God which results in the disabling of emotional bondages that prevent the reciprocal flow of God's love as expressed by the fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's, here's what's great, right? When we become emotionally healthy, what Diane is saying is when we become emotionally healthy, we increasingly move toward the love of God. And we also begin to heal our emotional wounds and we begin, to, we begin to flow in the love of God, giving it away to everyone around us. That's what emotional health does. And here's what's interesting. She says, the best way that it's expressed is in the fruit of the Spirit. And if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, you can see the emotional things that are right in the fruit of the Spirit. There, there's emotion in each one. Love, Joy, peace, patience. How, how many of you, when your kids aren't doing something wrong, it's an emotional moment for you to be patient? Yeah, you know, that's right. Every parent has their hand up. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now here's what's interesting. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us self-control our emotions. That's what he's there for. Another impact on our emotional health is the influence of childhood. The influence of childhood. Years of life experience, data, stats, living in every generation, they've all taught us that our emotions are linked in some way to the influence of our childhood. 
So how we experience emotions in our family of origin affects how we are dealing with emotions now in adulthood. Some of that works itself into our lives. So let me ask you a question or a couple. Did you experience a lot of love, grace, and help with your emotions as a child? Or did you experience anger, rage, and impatience as a child? Was there a lot of emotions in your family or none? Were emotions encouraged or discouraged? Did you receive training as a child about how to deal with your emotions in a godly and positive way? Mark, I know you don't want to share with your brother, (laughs) but you've been playing with the toy for three hours. Maybe you could share with your brother but it's mine. (laughs) At that point, my mom had to help me with my emotions, right? My emotions that led me to a behavior of selfishness. And good moms say, okay, you're done. (laughs) Let's go talk about your emotions. Your brother's gonna have your toy and you and I are gonna go have an emotional talk about selfishness, right? That's That's what good moms and dads do. Now, all of the ways we experienced emotions as a child, positively or negatively, have developed some of the patterns that we have now as an adult. Now, not everything, but some of it. Let me give you an example. I think there's a good biblical example of the influence of childhood in the life of Joseph from the Old Testament. He has an extraordinary life that is quite... Uh, awesome, and we love to study him. But when you look at his childhood, there's something interesting happening there. Joseph is deeply loved by his father, and he knows it. He's the only child in the family that receives a beautiful coat to wear that he gets to model to all of his other brothers to say, what? I'm better than you. Dad loves me more than you. Now, eventually, the brothers what? Get sick of that attitude. And so they sell him into slavery. And they take off for Egypt. But what's interesting is in slavery, Joseph is fairly well adjusted, which seems odd. Now, why is he fairly well adjusted because of his spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical health that he learned from his father and his mother and other people probably in his his family. So he's got this foundation of a loving father, a loving earthly father. And the next thing that we see that happens in Joseph's life is very interesting. The very next thing that happens is he has to take a stand in his sexuality when a woman is approaching him sexually and he chooses to say no, but what's interesting about the situation is he doesn't choose to say no because he is attached to his earthly father or well-adjusted to his earthly father. He's made the transition to his heavenly father and he says, I can't do that because I might sin against God, my heavenly father who he is now well-adjusted with. 
So his well-adjustment to his earthly father led to a well-adjustment with his heavenly father, and that secure attachment to his earthly father and to God the Father helped Joseph live a godly life in a nation that didn't believe in God. It also helped him fulfill the purposes and plans God had for him to use a spiritual gift that God had given him to reveal dreams, which led him to become the second most powerful leader in Egypt and rescue the people and the family of God when they needed it most. All because the influence of his childhood led him to a healthy place. See, the story of Joseph and your story as well tell the truth about the beginning of our emotions as children and how important that development is. Which leads me to the third truth about our emotional health and also has a little bit to do with the influence of our childhood. And that is that we all need healing from emotional wounds. All of us have emotional wounds. Some of them happened in childhood. Some of them happened in adulthood. But one thing is certain, every single one of us has an emotional limp. And that's because we live in an ungodly world. That's because you and I are living in our sin nature. And that's because none of us are perfect and none of the rest of the world is perfect. And so sometimes we damage one another emotionally and then we don't apologize for it and we don't forgive each other for it and we don't work it out. And so we end up with an emotional limp. And sometimes life just happens and something very difficult happens. And it was a tough emotional thing. Like I mentioned in the life of our church, our founding pastor passed away due to cancer. That left an emotional wound in our church for a while. And we had to heal through it. And we have, praise the Lord. Imagine with me for a moment, a seven-year-old boy really rambunctious, fun, loves the outdoors. And one day he, he falls out of a tree and he breaks his arm. Now normally, right, we would take the boy to the doctor. They'd set his arm correctly. They'd put it in a cast. And six weeks later, what? That boy's climbing trees again, right? But what would happen if as that boy began to grow, get taller and stronger, more muscular, the arm that broke just didn't grow. It stopped growing when it got broke. And so now he's 25 and he can dunk and he's strong and he's big, but he's got a little kid arm. We would all say something happened when he broke his arm that didn't let his arm grow correctly into adulthood. I would say this morning that the same thing happens emotionally. Sometimes we experience something emotionally in our childhood or in our adulthood that hinders us from going, growing positively with healthy emotions. And there's an emotional wound that needs healing. Let me talk about it another way. Each of us experience active and passive wounding during our lives. Active wounding is, are things that are just done to us or happen to us randomly that never should have happened. Maybe abuse of some kind. 
that shouldn't have happened. Something was done wrong. Something treat, somebody treated you the way you shouldn't have been treated. And now there's an active wound there. The second kind is passive wounding. Passive wounding is when there are things that should have happened, but never did. And so there's a wound there too. There's unintentional neglect or just maybe somebody not knowing the right thing to do. And so as a result of not having the skills or the training themselves, they didn't do the things that they should have done. Now, I would like to say right here, because I think this is important, that doesn't mean we should immediately go to blaming our parents. Could I hear an amen to that, please? If you're a parent in the room, are you perfect? No. Have you ever made a mistake with your child? Yes. Come on. We all have, right? Every single one of us as parents, none of us are perfect. We do the best we can with the time that we have. We're doing the best that we can with we have. And we all have emotional wounds and we're trying to parent our kids as well. So I, I, I wanna just give us the freedom to not say it's all our parents' faults, amen? Unless it was, then, then we'll go there. But here's the point. Only God can heal the deep wounds that have happened in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you and I need to let the Holy Spirit in. And I would ask you this morning, if you have an emotional wound, will you let him heal it? As I even say that word, you may know right in your mind, you can go right back to that moment where that emotional wound took place, where somebody said something or did something that now is a part of your life that needs healing. Look at two verses with me. In Psalm 34, 17 to 18, it says, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. This morning, if you're in the room or if you're online, I want you to know that if your spirit is crushed, the best place to take your crushed spirit is to the Lord, to receive healing. Because in that place, he helps us through our broken heart and through our trouble. He wants to be there to help. In Luke chapter four, when Jesus was just starting his ministry, this is what he said about his ministry. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now there's really good news in Jesus' words because what he's saying is the oppressed can be free in Christ. So if you have some emotional oppression, you can be free in Christ. If you feel like there is something in your life that just is always upon you and it, it takes over your thinking and your emotions and your behavior, there's healing for you in Jesus. I love the last part. Jesus said, we can live in the favor of God. 
that that's our identity, that there is healing for our emotional wounds and each of us can choose to walk in freedom when we let the Holy Spirit walk us through emotional healing. Now what's great about this is we can see this offered often by Jesus, often. The woman caught in adultery who was stuck in her emotional pain most likely due to broken relationships, maybe to an identity crisis, maybe to things that were said to her inappropriately when she was a little girl. And now she feels like her only out is prostitution. And as a result, she's getting stuck in behavior that she's never wanted to be stuck in. And Jesus comes along and does what? Offers her freedom, offers her hope, offers her forgiveness that sets her free. There are 10 lepers who are stuck in emotional isolation from society because they can't live with their families anymore. They have to live outside the city. They, they, they're unclean. They're constantly, they have this image upon them that they've sinned, that they're unclean. And so they're stuck. They're emotionally stuck. They're physically stuck. Their thinking is probably all messed up. And when Jesus heals them physically, I imagine that not only did he, was their leprosy gone, but now all the emotional pain is gone of being unaccepted by your community. The woman with the issue of blood who had a label of unclean, everywhere she would go, she would have to shout, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And I don't know about you, but if I walked around all the time declaring something, I'm a loser. I'm a loser. I'm not pretty. I don't have the body type I want. And I walked around saying that to myself and looking at magazines and looking at posts and thinking that about myself every single day all throughout the day, I would begin to have an identity crisis and an image about myself that is not what God has. And Jesus comes along and heals her. And not only is her physical pain now gone, her emotional pain is gone. She's no longer unclean. That's not the label of her life anymore. That's not her identity now. Now she can go everywhere in town and say what? I'm healed. I'm clean. I'm whole. I'm forgiven. I'm alive again. She's free. See, over and over again, Jesus healed those with emotional pain, but what we saw was physical pain, was physical healing. But in all the cases, we have to notice that there easily would have been emotional pain as well. So the good news is Jesus wants to heal our emotional pain. Now, because emotional wounds are really deep, Emotional wounds typically are at the core of who we are, deep in our heart, deep in our feeling. It requires a special tool to get that out. It requires a very special tool to bring everything out and to free us from that pain. But that tool is difficult to use. That tool is forgiveness. forgiveness 
If only the tool was really easy to use. If only it was as easy as pulling the trigger on my drill. That'd be nice. On October 2nd, 2006, in an Amish community in Pennsylvania, a man walked into the schoolhouse in that Amish community and shot and killed five little girls. What happened next blew everybody away. The Amish community began to reach out to the perpetrator and his family to forgive them. As a community and each family member of the girls went and forgave the government, extended grace to him and his family, In one interview, a grandfather of two of the girls who were killed was asked how it was possible to forgive the gunman, and he answered, through God's help. For the Amish, forgiveness is a way of life that comes from the divine grace that they've received from God that they can now extend to others. See, we can learn a lesson here. Forgiveness heals But Diane Chandler said this, forgiveness is the most unnatural response to wrongdoing. I don't know if you're like me, but when I first read that story, I thought, oh, this is simple. You just go tear all the limbs off that man. Like, this is, what's the problem? See, our thoughts and our emotions immediately go to what? Revenge. Retaliation my form of justice needs to be done. And so we begin to operate in anger and we want vengeance. Forgiveness is the opposite, but it's unnatural. It's not natural for our thoughts, our mind, and our emotions to move towards forgiveness. The Holy Spirit has to help us move that direction. That's why we have to submit our lives to him. Because he helps us do really hard things. But those really hard things end up in our healing. Forgiveness is letting God have our emotions of anger. It's trusting that God will bring the justice that is required. Forgiveness understands, like the Amish do, a very deep, deep grace that has set me free from all my mistakes, from all my brokenness, from all my sin, and has the ability to give that same grace away to others who need it as well. If we want to heal from wrongdoings, we will need to come to terms with our emotions. Emotions of anger, vengeance, whatever it might be, because forgiveness is the tool God uses to release our emotions to him and be healed from the pain, from the wrongdoing, and from the things that have caused intense pain deep down in our soul. Now, if we don't walk through the forgiveness problem 
or forgiveness issue and give our things to God, then we end up in grenade syndrome. You've maybe never heard of grenade syndrome before because I made it up. (laughs) Now, I made it up years ago. But grenade syndrome is this. Every single time that you and I choose not to forgive, we're building a bomb on the inside. Every single time we choose not to forgive, we are building an emotional, mental, and behavioral bomb in the deepest recesses of our life. And guess what? Oftentimes, for no reason that is connected to the issue that needs forgiveness, somebody will pull that pin and you go off. And everybody in the room goes, why is dad so mad? I don't know. All I did was spill milk. I don't know why dad's so mad. Well, there's probably an emotional wound there that hasn't been taken care of. And so there's a little bomb that always goes off when milk gets spilled. And forgiveness starts the process of releasing that brokenness to Jesus. Now let me share a verse, but before I do, tell your neighbor, I'm not sure I'm gonna like this verse. Go ahead. Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 and 27. In the context of how you and I are supposed to do life together in social connection, the Apostle Paul said this, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, let me tell you something. This is one of the rare verses in Scripture where Satan or the devil are specifically mentioned about what he specifically does to our life. And in this case, what Paul is saying is when you and I hold on to our anger and we don't forgive, we're actually letting the devil work in our life. See, unresolved anger creates an access point straight to our heart, straight to our emotions, and straight to our spiritual life and how it relates to God. We open our life, we give the enemy of our soul an access point to our emotions. And you know what he does when he gets that access point? Well, you know what he does because we've all done it, right? He exploits us. He oppresses us. And he causes us to live in anxiety and depression and anger and frustration and vengeance. But the word says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. This is why Paul exhorts us in the next several verses, by the way, to resolve conflict quickly. And forgiveness begins that process. Okay. Let me land the plane quickly. 
Forgiveness moves us towards the state that we all need and want to live in, and that is freedom in Christ, which is possible because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of the resurrection. Now, we all want to be free from any emotional pain that's deep inside of us. And forgiveness starts that process that freedom can give us. But let me give us just several more really great things that we can do to let the Holy Spirit's healing do a complete work in our life. And if we put these things into practice, make sure that we continually live in the freedom that Jesus paid for us on the cross. Number one, acknowledge we need God's grace to heal because we can't do it on our own. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge that there's an emotional wound and start the healing process. But understand grace is essential to the healing process. Grace is like the glue that holds all of the spiritual practices together that help us heal. And so we need to receive God's grace in a posture of humility because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we enter into our healing humbly because of God's grace. Number two, believe the truth about what God believes about you. Part of the problem, part of the reason you and I don't heal from our emotional wounds is because when we look in the mirror, we don't believe what God sees. And so we lie to ourselves about our wound. But we got to start seeing ourselves the way God sees us. And I talked about that last week. That's what those I am affirmations are, right? I am chosen. I am forgiven. I'm a son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, so on and so forth. There's hundreds of them. Number three, healing cannot occur in a relational vacuum. We need others to help us heal. We need their wisdom, their experiences of healing their counsel if we need a counselor, their prayers, their accountability, their love. Your healing needs others to help you heal. And so I'm gonna challenge you. If you have an emotional wound and you've never talked to anyone about it, let today be the day. Let's start the healing process today. Talk to someone else, talk to Jesus. Number four, be open to the Holy Spirit's guidance through the emotional healing process. Here's what will happen. The Holy Spirit will ask you to do hard things during your healing process. And sometimes the hard things will be like going and talking to someone and asking them to forgive you, having a conversation, having a moment, maybe having lots of hard conversations. But every single conversation leads to more and more healing. Every single conversation leads to more and more wholeness. The Holy Spirit will be involved through that emotional healing because the Holy Spirit and God's word are what heal the deepest hurts in our lives and that's number five. Be committed to a healing approach that is consistent with God's word. Because God's word, this book, holds all of the promises for us to live in freedom in Christ all of the promises that we need to live in our freedom are in this book. And so when you and I connect with the Holy Spirit who loves us, 
to Jesus who sees our pain and our wound and live in the promises of God, we can begin to live in the emotional freedom that God calls us to. Now, could you just, just for me, could you all just big breath? Breathe it out. Because that was a lot. We talked about Jesus and his emotions, how we're called to love. We talked about the influence of childhood, healing from our emotional wounds, the forgiveness that we all need, and the freedom in Christ that is our future. And so as we thought about those things and are beginning to make a habit of not just rushing out the door and letting Jesus do a little work, I'm gonna ask us to sit in a question for a moment. So here's the question, it'll be on the screen. How is Jesus inviting you to be all in for him this week with your emotions? We'll leave it on the screen for a moment. I just want you to think about it. If you need to pray, pray. If you need to close your eyes and talk to Jesus, great. If you need to find someone in the room to pray with, awesome. Our prayer partners will be up here in just a minute. But I'm just gonna let us sit in the question and sit with Jesus for a minute and just let him heal.
business to do with my daughter. Because I didn't realize it, but I said something in my message that's my emotional wound that I had never asked for forgiveness for. And she's in the room, so no better time than the present, amen? Would you stand with me? Jesus, uh, we thank you so much that you are our healer. That every single one of us that has an emotional wound and an emotional limp, can, we can bring that to you, Jesus. Oh, thank you so much, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you that you don't push us away when we make mistakes. In fact, you said because of the cross and the resurrection, when we make mistakes, we can actually run into the throne of grace. We can run into your presence because your stance is forgiveness. So we give you thanks for that. We ask you to just continue to do a work of healing, Lord, in every single one of us as we leave the room. Whoever we need to talk to today, I pray that we would do that, either in person or make a phone call. Whatever deep wounds need forgiveness, Lord, we pray that you would help us to start that process. It would begin today and that healing would start today. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are and how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, our prayer partners are going to be up here. If you would like to just pray a little bit, please don't leave. We'd love to pray with you. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.